millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Puma Podcast. Hi, I'm Rafe Bartholomew. Welcome to the Global Bounce. Assistance needed on an article about Pinoy basketball. That's the subject line on probably my favorite and definitely the most unexpected email I've ever received. It landed in my inbox on July 11, 2014, sent from Belgrade, Serbia. And after reading it, I felt more connected to a global basketball community than ever before. First of all, sorry for the awkward subject, but that's the best I could muster at 3.45 a.m. in this time zone. I'm Milos. I do a lot of writing for local media outlets as I was previously an active sports writer. Due to the nature of my work, I saw a lot of worldly hoops and I have been following the PBA since 2008 more or less. With time, I have been appraised as one of the bigger PBA savants in Serbia, where I have a reputation of a guy who watches weird basketball. When that clip of Willie Miller pulling a fast one on Ronnie Dell went viral, I was invited for a radio appearance where I talked about PBA at great length. Okay, pause. The highlight he's referring to happened in a 2014 game between the Hinebra Gin Kings and Talking Tex Catropa of the Philippine Basketball Association. It went viral around the basketball internet because Willie Miller, a guard for Hinebra, retrieved a jump ball with an open lane to the basket and two Talking Tex defenders hot on his tail to defend what looked like an easy layup opportunity. But instead of racing ahead of them to score, Willie slowed down, turned his back to the basket he was supposed to shoot on, and pretended to be in the backcourt, walking the ball up the floor in the wrong direction. The nearest defender, Ranidel de Ocampo, fell for it hook, line, and sinker, and started backpedaling away from Willie to protect the opposite basket. The moment Ranidel began his retreat, Willie turned around, took two dribbles, and banked a completely uncontested layup through the rim for two of the easiest points ever scored on a professional basketball court. The prank was a sensation, appearing on blooper reels and highlight compilations around the world. Got it? Cool. Now back to Milos. Anyhow, for a while I was toying about writing a great sweeping piece on Pinoy basketball and its odd quirks, and just recently my old editor over at b92.net, Serbia's biggest internet portal, threw me a bone, asking me if I could write a big feature in time for the World Cup. Even though the deadline is way in August, I already started gathering sources for the article. A friend of mine, ex-co-worker who now lives in the Philippines, recommended me your book. I figured I could as well contact you directly where I get my hands on a copy. Now, not to blow my own horn, but I hold a decent reputation in the writing circles here. Several of my pieces were best-read sports-related articles on the Serbian internet for a brief period after publishing, and I want to make this one really special. Having watched over 200 PBA matches over the course of the past six years, I developed a real liking for the league, the characters that populated the happy go nutty TV commentators who code-switch between English and Tagalog on a random basis. I really do feel Serbia needs to know more about the great Filipino basketball tradition, especially as we hold the sport so close to our heart. After all, we won our second world's gold and first outside of our own country in Manila in 1978. 
So Milish and I traded emails for the next few days, gushing thousands of words back and forth at one another about our favorite PBA players, the unusual regularity with which pro teams in the Philippines build and then cough up 25-point leads over the course of single games, and some of the funniest and most impressive feats we'd seen in Philippine hoops. In one of his emails, he dropped an insight that took my breath away. What's really attracted me to PBA in a big way is that their basketball history, the folklore, the myths, the heroes and the villains, developed pretty much independently from the rest of the world, or so I feel. Reading Wikipedia articles about Samboy Lim, Alan Kadik, Sonny Jaworski, Alvin Petrimonio, etc., I was amazed how they were written out in a way that you would feel that the only basketball that ever mattered was played in a Renata Coliseum in Cuneta Astrodome. Sure, there's the odd American here and there, but Philippine basketball is fiercely domestic and proud of it. Serbia gave birth to many basketball legends, but we always looked up to the stars, the NBA, and would baptize our heroes only after enough battles versus international opposition. But in the Philippines, you're a legend if you've a few conferences in style. It was like reading Lord of the Rings, a whole different galaxy, a whole micro-world of its own with its own rules, heroes and battlegrounds. I can still hardly believe it. Milos had somehow developed an appreciation and understanding for Philippine basketball almost as deep as my own, and he'd never even set foot in the country. It took me living in Manila for years, immersing myself in the past and present of the Philippine game, to arrive at the level of insight he'd gained by streaming PBA doubleheaders from Belgrade. It was like the universe had delivered my Serbian basketball doppelganger to my inbox, the version of me I might have become if I were born in Belgrade in 1982 instead of New York City. We stayed in touch after that, trading delirious DMs later that summer when the Philippine national team forced overtime against Croatia in the team's first game of the 2014 FIBA World Cup. And eventually we met in 2017, when Milos flew to California to shoot interviews for a short documentary about the Sacramento Kings' Serbian ties for Vice Serbia. He called it the Sacramento Serbs. When Milos and his film crew visited my place in L.A., they even met my fiancé's enormous 200-pound Great Dane, Jack, and immediately compared him to Serbia's gargantuan 7'4 basketball star Boban Marjanovic. Months later, after they had flown home to Belgrade, Milos would sign off our WhatsApp chats with regards to dog. Over the years, Milos would encourage me over and over again to visit Belgrade, to witness the Serbian passion for basketball, and maybe even write about it, like I had done with the Philippines in Pacific Rims. Man, I wish I had gotten a chance to go, but life and work in the States always got in the way. So, I still haven't made it to Serbia, but in this episode, I'm hoping to do the next best thing a deep dive into Serbian hoops alongside my Balkan doppelganger. This is episode two of The Global Bounce, a Puma podcast production. I'm your host, Rafe Bartholomew. Hi, I'm Milos Shivanovic. I'm from Belgrade, Serbia. I'm 43 years old, born here in 1980, and I've been a basketball journalist and a podcaster currently running a Shestalichna or the Six Personal podcast on the Mondo portal for Serbian news networks. And uh, I've been doing this for the past 20 or so years, following basketball across the globe. Right from the beginning, I started noticing little echoes between basketball history in Serbia and the Philippines. The sport arrived in Manila in the early 1900s through the YMCA and other American colonial institutions. By 1911, basketball was part of the official phys ed curriculum the American government created for Philippine public schools. 
and Serbia wasn't too far behind in adopting the game. Actually, it's funny that you ask that now, because right now in 2023, we're going through a celebration of 100 years of basketball in Serbia. It's a Serbian basketball centenary. The sports happened 100 years ago, but didn't really take root until the World War II ended. In 1945, we saw something which could resemble first glimpses of organized basketball, first clubs forming up. As you know, the the flagship clubs of Serbian sport are Red Star and uh, Partizan Belgrade. And they are formed in an oldie socialist style. They're called um, sporting societies. And in this kind of mold, you have like one big umbrella organization, which is called Red Star Partisan. And then within it, you have the football club or the soccer club, as you want to call it, uh, the basketball club, the handball club. And it goes all the way down to track and field, uh, table tennis, uh, chess and uh, whatnot. So essentially speaking, the basketball clubs sprang up after the war immediately. And the first games were organized outdoors. We didn't really become a superpower until the 60s when the first uh, solid generation of players started propping up. And uh, we won the World Cup in 1970, which we were trusted with uh, organizing. And it's been, you know, uh, up and away since then. Most of the people who are familiar with the, with the sport of basketball remember the great uh, Yugoslav teams of the late 70s and the late 80s. You know, a pretty number of Hall of Famers played for those sides. I'm talking uh, Dino Raja, Tony Kukoc, uh, Dražen Petrovic, uh, Vlade Divac, uh, those teams have uh, conquered back-to-back European championships in 89 and 91. They won the World Cup in uh, Buenos Aires in 1990. Then the war happened. We split up in a couple of distinct countries. What was left of the old Yugoslavia became something which we call the new Yugoslavia, State Union of Serbia and Montenegro, which performed uh, further under such name for 10 more years, give or take. Then we were like Serbian Montenegro, and now we're called just Serbia. Philippine basketball has its legends like Ambrosio Padilla, captain of the national team that finished fifth and only lost one game to the eventual gold medalists from the United States at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. There's Kaloy Loisaga, who led the Philippine team to a bronze medal at the 1954 World Cup, the best result ever for an Asian nation at the Olympics or World Cup. And of course, you've got icons of the 70s like Robert Jaworski, Bogs Adornado, Danny Florencio, and Ramon Fernandez, who brought the nation's basketball fever to its boiling point. Likewise, the Serbian game has its roster of founding fathers, starting with Professor Aleksandar Nikolic, the godfather of Serbian basketball. Although in Nikolic's time, the nation was still part of Yugoslavia. He is credited as the person who molded something which he called the Yugoslav School of Basketball. So uh, the, the important part is, up until the 80s, European basketball has developed pretty independently from American basketball. We didn't have exposure to NBA. The professor uh, is basically credited as the first guy who innovated uh, the national doctrine of Yugoslav basketball, which is basically hard defense, transition offense, uh, patient uh, attacks, patient half-court sets and everything like that. People who met him spoke of him as a great individual who was well ahead of his time. And there is always an anecdote which I like to speak of. And uh, The professor was a consultant to a smaller Belgrade club in the mid-90s. And this club was coached by a young but a very defensive minded coach uh, who was very strict and very disciplinarian and 
the professor was attending one of their practices and everybody was like, okay, so what's he going to say to us? And the professor, no, just, just go ahead and play. So the point guard takes the ball, calls a set play, and professor stops it and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm calling a set play. Fine, go ahead, run your set play. So they run a set play, and back then it was a 30-second offense in European basketball and FIBA basketball, and 29 seconds, somebody shoots a corner three-pointer and hits it. So professor says, stop it. What's wrong? He said, you call the play. Yes. You over open three seconds in. Yes. Shoot the ball. He's like, why? Shoot the ball. That is the future of basketball. If you're open, you should shoot the ball. And hearing that now in 2023, where, you know, all those long drawn passing movements seem to be the thing of a past. And just if you're open, shoot it. It sounds so far ahead of his time. And it was like mid nineties when it was essentially considered bad form to shoot uh, basketball in uh, before the 20th second of your set offense so yeah he was a man ahead of his time and uh one of the biggest uh, holes in belgrade where red star plays home games is now called the professor alexander nikolic hall and like the philippines where the national team's triumphs on the court led the country's love of the game to become intertwined with filipino identity during the push for independence from u.s colonial rule Serbia's bond with the game deepened during the 1990s when the breakup of Yugoslavia into nations like Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, Montenegro, and others put the Balkan region through more than a decade of war. Is basketball in Serbia sort of a part of national pride that people accept and consider even someone who's not in the basketball world, who's not a player or a coach or, a, you know, but, but would say this is one of the things about us that makes us who we are? Oh, yeah, I'll definitely say this, especially the people from my generation, from my age, because, you know, we had this civil war breakout in 91, 92. And then for four years, we were isolated from the international community. And we we started playing international basketball back again. We were readmitted in 1995. And uh, from the first attempt, we won the Eurobasket in 1995. Uh, Alexander Georgiev scored, I don't remember, 41 points with nine three-pointers in the final game. We beat Lithuania, a great Lithuanian team with uh, Sabonis the Elder and uh, Marcellionis, formerly of Golden State in Sacramento and Denver, and a bunch of other great players from that team. We beat them in the finals. And, you know, winning that title, that was such a massive outpour of national pride going on because we were isolated for four years. There was a war going on. So many things happened. It's a different country. And then to get out and win that and observe that as a fan, watch it from the television set and hear the, the commentator is hollering and screaming. And uh, then the reception in front of the 200,000 people or so on the balcony of the National Assembly building in Belgrade, that was something else. And at that point in time, you felt like, uh, man, this is us. This, this is what we are. And that kind of came into our DNA as a kind of a big fat middle finger to the rest of the world saying, you haven't broken us down. We're still here. And, uh, you know, we're ready to to win some more. And then we won. In 1996, we played the Americans for the first time. When I say the Americans, I mean the professionals. Of course, we played the Americans plenty of times before. And we held out in Atlanta for 24 minutes. We There was 51-51. And then, of course, Americans broke away. But, you know, even those 25 minutes were something like, you know, in the back of your mind, you know we can't be the team with uh, Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, Carl uh, Malone, uh, John Stockton, uh, Charles Barkley, Reggie Miller, and, you know, all those 90s NBA greats. But you're like, we need to give them hell for as long as we can. 
we lost by 20 odd points, but it felt like a victory for the first half at least. And, and then we won the Eurobasket in 97. Then we won the World Cup in 98. So Americans were led by uh, Wendell Alexis and Brad Miller, who played CBA at the time or something. And uh, those were the good years. It was like every summer there was a big old party because the basketball players were coming home. We would all gather up in front of the National Assembly. They would all come at the balcony and greet us. Definitely, I'm going to say that all those things are now ingrained in the national DNA. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And uh, it's not that hard to take pride in a sports tradition that has produced so many great players. From pioneering globetrotters like Vlade Divac, one of the first European players to find success in the NBA, to the Denver Nuggets two-time MVP Nikola Jokic, currently considered the best player in the world after leading Denver to an NBA championship. Not the best player in Europe, not the best outside of the United States, but the best, full stop. Jokic, carrying the ball all the way through as well, bullying basketball in Belgrade from their superstar. Jokic, through the double team, he's going to show us he can do everything. Nikola Jokic, up against Yanis again. Jokic, pure passion, determination. I was actually discussing this a couple of weeks ago with the former national team coach of, uh, of Serbia, Aleksandr Djordjevic, one of the greatest players in our history. It was an interview and he asked me, but just, you know, tell me something. Why do you think we're so good at this? And we both agreed that it's two things. First of all, as Serbians, we don't take anyone's word for it. We need to have the final say on things. So I think it's the inherent uh, Serbianness of just trying to get one over you. Is, uh, is, is what makes us good at this. And of course, there's the genetics. We are considered to be second or third tallest country in Europe, which helps, granted. But I think it's mostly the just uh, innate sense of wanting to be better than the people around you is what brought us to the top of the basketball world, uh, where we are, well, still somewhat standing on. And that Yugoslav school of basketball that Milos credited the professor Alexander Nikolic with developing? Those methods still endure in Serbia, along with a broad approach to training young athletes in several different sports before they specialize, which Milos says helps create basketball players who have mastered the fundamental shooting, passing, and ball handling skills, but who can also approach the game in creative ways for an extra advantage. There's two things. First of all, the Serbian athletes, I don't know a single one who plays only one sport. When you're growing up as a kid in Serbia, they let you try everything. You stick with the best thing around. But all of us, as, as part of our 
primary school curriculum and high school curriculum, we were we will play football primary. Uh, then when you grow a bit taller, you play soccer. When you grow a bit taller, you start playing basketball. Some people branch out into handball. Some people branch out into volleyball. Some people do a track and sport, track and field. But basically, uh, we consider football, basketball, handball, volleyball, the holy quadruple of Serbian team sports. And we all play that growing up. So it, it's funny. I heard a lot of stories from great Serbian players and great Yugoslav players who said, I was really great at this, but I chose this when I was 18. I think a lot of uh, Serbian players actually draw inspiration from other sports as well and, you know, steal a bit of this, steal a bit of that. And uh, uh, to Americans who usually have a different variety of team sports, which are not really, they don't really uh, mesh with basketball. I mean, you cannot say you learn something about basketball by playing baseball. And you cannot really say you learn something about basketball by playing uh, American football. But uh, certain uh, patterns of running and uh, strategies and everything like that, you can steal a bit from handball, for example, the body checking, the, the, the physicality and everything like that, and a bit of, you know, running patterns. And so you can steal a lot from volleyball and you can steal a lot of football as well. And I think uh, just basically the, the outlook of Serbian kids of playing all those sports at the same time and then choosing eventually to pick one is something which gives them a broader perspective and a, you know a bit of uh, what what you said is a great talent of great Serbian players such as Vlade Divac such as Nikola Jokic is thinking outside of the box and uh, the second part is when you start playing basketball as a kid in Serbia they don't profile you by hate you know if you're tall that's cool but you will learn the same things as the short kids do so uh, they will tell you you'll play center at some point in time. But they, the coaches will make sure you know the fundamentals first and foremost. So um, we don't know if there's a growth spurt waiting for you and, and you know, somewhere down the road. And we don't know if you're going to stick being five foot nine. But we're going to make sure that you learn all the good things which you need to learn. They teach you how to dribble. They teach you how to drive. They are very, very strict on a couple of things. Like uh, if, if you're driving from the left-hand side, you should lay it in with your left. Uh, if you're laying it in with your right, you need to, you know, uh, make left your jumping foot and so on. In the end, when you're a professional, when you're uh, Nikola Jokic, who is seven foot and rebounding and doing all the things center do, I don't think the coaches are very insistent on you uh, repeating those fundamentals. But it sticks with you as you're a kid, and it's something you learn to do. And it's a neat little extra which you can bring in. Most of the great Serbian players, past and and, and current have something a little bit of extra to their game. Like if, if you look at Bogdan Bogdanovic, who is now with the Atlanta Hawks, he's primarily a jump shooter, right? But uh, and and that's going to earn his NBA salaries by shooting, uh, you know, forty percent from the from the three point arc. But if you give him the you know the basketball in his hands, say you need to create something. They they got a clamps Trey Young. He's going to do it because he he knows how to do it. And he ran plays before, and he can run pick and rolls as, 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 as a primary creator, and he can do things off the screens and everything like that. So uh, most of those great guys are going to give you something extra. Like Nikola Jokic is going to rebound, he's going to score, but the passes are something extra. You're not, you're not really expecting that from a center position. Vlade Divac was the same, and so on and so on. So, uh, and of course, there's also this thing, you know, there's 400 million Americans, right? So, I mean, you can pretty much profile yourself down to that this guy is going to do this thing great. And that guy is going to do that thing great. There's only seven or eight million of Serbians right now. So if we're going to, you know, survive in this big, mean, professional basketball world, we need to be pretty elite so somebody can give us a job. But it's not just the Serbian players who go on to NBA careers who capture the nation's attention. 
The country's hoops history is littered with names of all-time greats who became immortals thanks to their play in European championships and the heated rivalry between Belgrade's two professional club powers, Partizan and Red Star, whose derby games can seem on the verge of breaking out into a full-scale riot. Bodoroga between his legs. Has he got some skills or what? Bodoroga drives in. Is there anything this man cannot do? Just listen to Milos talk about Dejan Bodiroga, perhaps the best European player who never made the leap to the NBA. He was a player I trust my life with. Let me just put it that way. If you needed somebody to hold the fort, withstand the storm, play a good defense, get a rebound, or you know, drive in for two points, that was Dejan Bodiroga. You just pass the ball to him and you forget all your life's worries. I never felt safer in my life than watching Dejan Bodiroga spearhead the Serbian offense regardless of if we're up by five or down by 25, when the ball found its way to his hands, I felt safe. He was uh, very, very unique. He would dominate you by being slow. That, that, that's a funny thing, because the modern game of basketball is all about quickness and explosiveness, right? And he would uh, amaze you by just being a touch slower. You know, many good players have this burst of speed, right? And Bodiroga would have like a burst of slowness. He would make a quick first step, and then he would pull the brakes, you know. basically, So all the players would just flow back, and he would pull the brakes on his second step, lean onto his right foot, and uh, jump shoot, uh, you know, uh, a quick bank shot for two points. And that was his trademark move. He was like a six-foot-eight point guard. They used to call him the white magic. I suppose that's not politically correct to say these days, but that was considered a compliment. And he was just great to watch. From the marketing point of view, from uh, from a commercial point of view, he was very boring. He was not a jump shooter. Uh, he had this awkward-looking set shot from the free throw. But he was a master of handles and fundamentals. He was a great rebounder, a great passer, great court vision. And basically, he was the guy who would you trust, pardon my French, getting shit done when the going got tough. I hear Milos waxing poetic like that, and I can't help think of Philippine basketball legends who are never going to be household names in middle America, but who made millions of Filipino fans feel those same kind of emotions during their careers. Safe, like when Alvin Patrimonio catches the ball at the high post, or Jojo Lastimosa is pulling up for an elbow jumper in the fourth quarter, or James Yap is floating through the lane with the ball in one hand, or L.A. Tenorio is pushing the ball up the floor in transition. Which brings me to the one question I've always been a little bit afraid to ask Milos straight up. Knowing what we know about the history and tradition of Serbian basketball, he and other Serbian fans would be well within their rights to consider themselves the most hoops-crazy nation on earth. Lithuania also has a claim to that title. So what does he think? When it comes to the love of the game, does the Philippines rank alongside Serbia and other great basketball nations? For sure, we feel like basketball royalty. That is a fact. If you're asking a Serbian person, such as myself, who do you acknowledge above you? We're going to say the U.S. on a good day. But the U.S. for the most part, we will acknowledge the U.S. Everybody else we're going to look down on. That's just the facts of life. It's like asking Brazilians who do you consider is the best football nation in the world. They'll say us, of course. Nobody else. They, they might win, but they're not us. You know that, that, That's kind of the attitude. But the, the funny part is that you say, basically, that the essence of this question can be phrased something like, who do you think is more hoops crazy, Serbians or the Filipinos? Uh, I'm going to have to say the Filipinos. Because um, 
there isn't that many great success in Philippine sports other than basketball, is there? I mean, uh, in Serbia, football is still the sport. And uh, we have enjoyed great successes in basketball. But football is still what brings people most out and what, what brings the most passion out. We won medals in handball. We're a volleyball superpower. We're a water polo superpower. We have Novak Djokovic. Uh, we have some track and field athletes and whatnot. And uh, throughout our history, basketball was one of these sports. Let's just put it that way. In Philippines, I always have the impression that basketball is the sport, as if nothing else really matters. And uh, with that in regard, I, I consider the Filipinos to be a very unique bunch in the way how they perceive basketball. I'm going to say they're definitely a big-time basketball country. It's a universe unto its own. And this is what I really appreciate about Philippine sports fandom, which really fascinates me in, uh, in a way. I started watching the PBA broadcasts and they had Philippine announcers, which were speaking in a crazy bilingual mix of uh, English and Tagalog or whatever. And it was basically like every seventh word was Filipino word, which I wasn't familiar with. And even the English which they used wasn't something English which I was familiar with because, you know, I'm used to American announcers if I'm listening to basketball. And those people, uh, the Philippines, they, they, they spoke in a very different and peculiar kind of basketball language, which I wasn't sure of. To this day, I don't know why they call a basketball player a cager in the Philippines, but apparently that, that, that's how it works. Bit by bit, I started getting drawn into this strange world of Philippine basketball because in every European country, there is something which you, which you like to call levels, you know. There's the national championship, right? There's the EuroLeague, which is like intra-European competition. And then there's the NBA on top of it all, right? It's like a finely structured hierarchy where you are supposed to know your place. You stay in your lane. Let's just put it that way. If you're really good, you go here. And then if you're really good at that level, you go there. And then you might end in the NBA. And, you know, you, you, a different kind. Of... And in the Philippines, it was all about the Philippines. And I found that great. Because uh, here, here's a basketball product which looks and acts as it evolved completely independently from the worldly basketball trends in the past 50 years. And it's so insular. And there's so many people in it and following it. And they're so dedicated and they're so passionate. And it's, it's like a fairy tale in, in, a, in a way. If, if, if you really dig deeper into it and, and you listen to the commentary, you, you don't just follow the, the, the game itself. It's a world into its own. And when they speak of legends, they don't speak of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. They speak of, you know, Jaworski or uh, Patrimonio and some, some, other, some other big players. It's like basketball outside the Philippines does not exist, which I found very funny. I'm sure that's a very outsider's perspective of things, but uh, that's how it looked to me. Because uh, all the kids uh, which you watch playing in, uh, all the young players who are playing in, uh, in Europe are dreaming to go to NBA. And there's a kid in, you know, uh, Boracay Island uh, who's dreaming to play for Ginebra. So, I mean, to me, it was very cool. And I started uh, watching Philippine basketball not anymore as a sport, but as a kind of, you know, a TV show in a way, that I was following it like, uh, it, to me, it felt like a new episode in a series which I was following through. I, I started getting into the anthropological angle, the, the sociological angle, the, you know, all kind of uh, cultural angles, and I started picking up on all those great PBA traditions. You know what I liked most? The spray painting of the numbers in the, in the finals. Man, that was so great. 
they just take a can of spray paint and you know that the cameraman follows the guy and he's like you know shaking that thing crossing up the number and i really love that and then this is the part where it gets really weird and you, you try explaining to other people how it looks like right and then you tell them okay so so they play in three conferences and they're like what do you mean three conferences you mean like three times no 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 that conference doesn't mean conference in philippine english conference is uh a part of a season and then they're like what the hell are you talking about and they're like they, they have one of them without the imports and then they have and i even call them imports which is also inherently philippine in in europe you're going to say foreigner right you're going to say foreign player as a foreigner and in philippines they're called the imports and this one is without the imports and this one is the middle tournament and this one they and teams change names every year and they have, uh, you know, hate restrictions and all those uh, silly little things. And people are just looking at me and saying, are you really trying to explain me all these crazy things? Well, not all of Milos's countrymen thought he was crazy when he tried to explain the unique aspects of Philippine basketball. The Serbian seafarers got it right away. In Serbia, you're going to cross paths with Filipinos. How do you do that? If you work on a cruise ship. There is a lot of Serbian sailors who work cruise ships, right? And uh, most of them have met the Filipino workers working on cruise ships as well. And those people would just chime in with comments and say, man, I thought we were crazy about basketball, but those Filipinos, they're crazy about basketball. Like literally, they're going to they're gonna find, you know, they're going to cut up an old barrel and stick it, you know, nail it to the wall and something like that. And uh, they're, they're going to play makeshift hoops over that. And uh, they're like, I mean, we are crazy about things, but they are really crazy about things. And I'm, I'm happy to have played a part in explaining to the greater Serbian audience how Philippines are a great basketball nation. You want to know how I know that if I had wound up moving to Belgrade in 2005 to study basketball, instead of moving to Manila, the experience would have changed my life in much the same way that my time in the Philippines did? Because any nation that's full of people who know and love the game like Milos does is a place that I could call home. I just happened to find mine in Manila. Did Milos and I miss your country? Well, if you're from anywhere besides Serbia or the Philippines, the answer is probably yes. So what other places in the world should we be talking about that haven't come up yet? Let us know. Again, I'm Rafe Bartholomew. The Global Bounce is a Puma Podcast production. This episode was produced by Nina Toralba and edited by Mark Casellian. Additional research by Geraldine Pascual with creative consults from Trisha Aquino and Carl Javier. The video snippets featuring Dehan Boriroga and Nikola Jokic are from FIBA on Facebook and FIBA the Basketball Channel on YouTube. Maraming salamat po. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.